They told me not to make a sound when I walk around, so I step real lightly on the ground. Hey, this is Erica. Welcome to the Coffee Nomad Podcast. I am so excited for today's podcast where we will talk to our guest, Carl Weinhold. Um, but before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to Capyak, C-A-P-Y-A-C, who we are to thank for this epic music, um, and to my friend, Brandon Hill, for not only harassing me to get these podcasts out there, because I suck at it, and for editing these podcasts. If you're new here, welcome. This is the Coffee Nomad Podcast. We talk all things coffee, um, but mainly we talk to people in coffee and what they're doing and how they got to where they are today in coffee. Um, but today we talk to Carl Weinhold. Um, if you haven't heard of him, he works basically in the very first steps of coffee before it even gets to your cup, before it even gets on the ship on the way to your cup. He lives in Bogota, Colombia. And he does logistics and marketing as well as wear many hats for exporter down there, Direct Origin. Um, he is now the author of a book called No Free Refills. And it's going to be probably one of the few books out there that truly break down sustainability in the coffee supply chain on such a clear manner, something so well researched. And he is a very bright individual, and I'm so thankful he took the time to sit down with me um, and not only talk about what he's doing and what his book is about, but what's kind of going on right now um, at Origin in coffee and where the needs are and how people like you and me can help out. Carl, tell me where you are right now. I'm in my apartment office in Bogota, Colombia. Very cool. And you're just telling me you got back from a week um, in the mountains? Yeah, we're, we're doing a few things over on the west side of the country from Medellin all the way down through uh, through northern Valle del Cauca. Really cool. Um, what kind of things are you doing? Uh, well, you know, uh, receiving some parchment, dry milling, uh, raising the decaf plant. Um, when our in our Pereira office doing cupping with some clients uh, and then doing some farm audits with some new members of the, the collective group and uh, working on the, the the I guess the kickoff uh, phase of the, the second pilot of Finca Emprendedora that's the financial education program for small farmers. So you're doing a little bit of everything um, and I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about your background um, and what you do today. Sure. Um, I guess I don't know where to start that one. It's, it, I've had a, a lot of different uh, phases here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess, um, after finishing school, uh, in, in the U S and Brazil, uh, I worked as a international trade consultant. I was kind of a, a gun for hire helping anybody import or export anything from anywhere to anywhere wow. ended up in in colombia by chance and uh slowly shifted toward rural development economics was basically studying uh rural value chains uh in areas with social and environmental problems figure out how to reorganize these these chains uh to work better to improve the quality of life of, of small farmers and ideally uh destroy in ecosystems less Mm-hmm. Uh, worked as a consultant in this with the government agencies, uh, nonprofits, NGOs, 
uh, spent like two years studying uh, small farmers associations and co-ops, uh, their uh, organizational uh, governance, uh, things like this. But at a certain point, um, I don't know, I figured that the, the, the projects were never exactly what, what I was interested in and seeing happen. Uh, I found uh, I was doing a lot of research um, and implementation wasn't happening as much as I would have preferred. Uh, so decided to take a step back from that and uh, try to make things actually happen on the ground myself. Uh, ended up working with coffee just because I thought it was the lowest hanging fruit. People kind of care where their coffee comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, so I figured, well, well, we'll start with coffee, see if we can uh, make this the, the real direct trade happen. Uh, you know, yeah. All these intermediaries uh, stealing all the money and you know the poor little farmers. That's what I'd heard from farmers. Um, but, you know, there's... I, I, quickly found out there's a lot of a lot of misunderstanding there mm -hmm. as uh, I was just translating emails between farmers and roasters and, and I was going to let this this magical direct trade just happen it, it didn't happen yeah uh, <laughs> uh, some very large farmers were able to make it happen uh, but all of the ones that I was interested in supporting were, were completely unable so uh, I ended up uh, picking up a lot of those tasks uh, just, you know, in my, in my spare time, uh, but eventually just really got too much, uh, to handle. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, after a few years of, of trial and error, we, we came uh, upon this, uh, farmer's collective structure. Uh, many small farmers can share overhead versus having to sell to a, a large company that can handle that overhead, uh, leveraging this idea of the sharing economy right. so that, uh, a lot of small guys together can reach the same scale and do the same thing as the big guys. Uh, but without, you know, having to mix all the beans up and, and losing control and identity in the supply chain. Right. Wow. That's, that's crazy. So I'm going to take it even further back. How, so I know you said you got into coffee because it was the lowest hanging fruit. Um, but what's, what was your connection to coffee before then or like did you have a moment with coffee when you were like oh I I I now know what good coffee's like and this changes everything I don't know if you've had that moment uh to be honest that uh, I, I I have okay. uh was here in Colombia was after I was already working in coffee and I, I still didn't really understand it uh I just saw it as a a, a vehicle um to improve conditions for small farmers uh uh, uh a crop that could be grown in a very environmentally sustainable way uh, compared with, with other crops that are more difficult. I've been working with coffee for about a year before I realized that that this is real. It's not just yeah. um, some kind of uh, hocus pocus branding. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's so much more than like a beautiful cafe or slick logo, like the, the, the proofs in the cup kind of deal. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, um, this, you go down this path, you've been kind of been communicating between roasters and farmers. And you mentioned something earlier about, um, you know, you're waiting for this magic wand of direct trade to just happen. And um, I want to like, kind of myth bust direct trade, because especially in the States where it's on so many things and people claim, you know, direct trade, it's all over their website, all over their bags and just kind of what it means to you and what makes it, 
what makes it sustainable and what doesn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, a farmer that can sell to a roaster, nobody else in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, the, the, the fact is, it's only the um, very well capitalized farmers that can do that. Either uh, they have very large farming operations or because they have other jobs. I mean, they're small farmers that are dentists and, and you know, they can, they can make that happen. Uh, but there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of overhead, um, you know, a lot of a lot of fixed costs involved with uh, with exporting and importing. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of know-how. And really, if you're only making 20 bags a year, it's 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 not. It doesn't make sense to do all of that. Totally, and and I think it's important to know. I guess it's important to note that roasters who kind of want to start doing direct trade that you know, you made a good point. That's not as simple as I'm going to go on this coffee origin trip and visit this one farm. Um, and also maybe on the other end, roasters can come together and to purchase larger amounts or more, maybe more um, uh, long-term kind of purchases to producers. What What's kind of like what would you tell roasters that are looking to get into direct trade? Like, is, is that one way to do it? If they're a smaller to medium sized roaster? Yeah, that, that could work. Um, I mean, the, my, my advice would be a question, uh, ask yourself why, mm -hmm. why, why is direct better? Is it because more money gets to the farmer when it's more direct? Um, in some cases it could be, but it could also be quite the opposite. If, if these farmers are having to, to send us air freight and pay consultants to, to allow them to be able to export, they could be earning much less than uh, if they had been consolidating with uh, a larger exporter and importer that could fill up containers. You know, it, if, if the idea is to make the, make more, the farmer make more money, um, being more direct could might maybe defeating the purpose. Um, if, if, if you're looking for a relationship and authenticity, um, you know, that, that could be mm, more viable with a, a direct relationship. Um, but should that relationship be facilitated by someone that can reduce costs? Would that, would that um, uh, damage the, the authenticity of, of what you're doing? Uh, I think these are questions everyone needs to ask themselves. Uh, is, is the idea to have full uh, transparency or is it to, to have traceability and know exactly what's happening at the farm level? Uh, is it is it possible to to get those things? You know, is is traveling to origin the the objective? If you, you travel to origin, maybe you spend um, two thousand dollars on a on a trip. Divide that by how many bags? You know, how much more mm. would have would you have been able to pay a farmer had you not gone on an origin trip and had you know a very trusted person on the ground to just set all of this up? Right. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of ways to go about this depending on what in what a roaster's objectives are right have you seen more roasters starting their own farms in coffee producing countries uh yeah i, I have seen um uh, a dozen or so here in colombia um yeah pretty low barriers to entry yeah in the most more recent years i've just i, I feel like there are more people doing that um you know purchasing land and then visiting land every so often um what what are the benefits to that and what's kind of um what might be harmful um in that sense or what should people be aware of well um 
Yeah, I think a lot of these folks are setting good examples for for farmers um, that, you know, if you do things this way versus the way that they've always been done, then the result could be much better. So, you know, I, I, I do think this is this is happening. Uh, this this guy um, shows up in our neighborhood, start puts up his farm. And we look like at this guy, like what what an idiot. What is he thinking? Uh, putting in these shade trees and in this corn with his with his coffee. What is this Bourbon varietal? This is going to get eaten up by Roya. What an idiot. Right. Uh, and then guy starts winning competitions and then the farmers think, oh, maybe there's, there's actually something to this. Mm. Uh, okay. So I guess <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, again, rein it back. Um, so you've, you've been in Bogota for how long? Uh, about seven years. Seven years. And where are you from originally? I grew up in Baltimore. Baltimore. Um, so you've been there for seven years. Um, and did you know when you were moving there, you were going to be there for a pretty long time? Or was it a trip that just turned for a forever trip? <laughs> yeah, uh, actually it was a layover that turned into a forever <laughs> layover. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Longest layover ever. Um, yeah. Was, and were you there for business on that first time? Or not first time, but that uh, yeah, you know, I was just kind of rambling around the world. <laughs> Wherever a, a project showed up, I would go spend a, a couple months or or longer. Um, like I said, I was I was a gun for hire consultant, going whatever anywhere and doing anything. I was on my way to Chile, and I I couldn't afford the plane ticket all the way to from Baltimore to Santiago. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, I'll get the cheapest plane ticket that gets me past the Darien Gap, and then I'll just take buses down the rest of the way wow. uh, so I figured out you know, I'll land in Bogota and maybe I'll stay for the weekend and then I'll I'll start heading down down towards Chile but no you know a weekend turned into a week it turned into a month and now it's now it's been seven years did you ever make it to Chile <laughs> uh I did but I was only able to stay for like a week and then I had to come back for my first Colombian project in Cauca wow so how did you um secure that first Colombian pro like I think it, it's really interesting to hear how other kind of independent you know workers or contractors and you have this set of skills obviously but um and then um did you walk into a coffee shop and how <laughs> who did you talk to I guess when you were there I mean with with all consulting uh, I think it's just uh focusing positioning yourself as as one one thing uh, this is what I'm the expert on and, and knowing a lot of people. Uh, I actually got sent to Kauka by a nonprofit in Scotland and I, I had no idea what, what Kauka was in 2012. It was, it was pretty gnarly in that, in that Northern Kauka area around Turibio and Corinto. Wow. Um, and they told me I was going to work on a, the pipeline. I thought, is this like an oil pipeline? That sounds risky. Uh, <laughs> it had nothing to do with oil. It was, it yeah. was agriculture. Yeah. And that, that was my first uh, introduction to you know, working in rural areas of Colombia and in, in agriculture in general. Uh, and, and that's been, been uh, my focus ever since. Wow, that's insane. Um, but that's such great advice for people who are looking to um, maybe sit out in whatever the form is um, as a consultant or an independent contractor to kind of um, select your expertise and own your expertise and communicate your expertise. Um, and here you are nearly a decade later in Colombia, literally doing 
everything, I feel like, wearing all types of hats. Um, so <laughs> speaking of that, uh, do you want to walk us briefly through, like, a day in your shoes? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I, I guess my time is split, uh, I guess, like, half in the office where I'm uh, – export documents, import documents, uh, invoicing, trying to collect accounts receivable, all the fun uh, stuff. creating, uh, writing articles to try to you know, uh, get some information out there, contacting roasters who need some coffee, uh, doing a lot of quality control here, roasting, cupping, dry milling, uh, picking out bad beans from samples, um, preparing um, feedback reports for farmers that are that are either in the mm. collective group or, or uh, working towards full membership. What do those feedback <laughs> reports look like? Because um, I know when I was working at Nordic Approach for a little bit, it's it looked like the founder, you know, you know, giving feedback as he walked on the farm. But I wonder if there's something more efficient and like you, you can fluently obviously speak Spanish um, and write in it um and what what are probably other source sourcing companies not doing right in that feedback process because i do feel like there's a gap um in the feedback to farmers they know what the score is but that's it kind of falls off after that yeah well um i think there's a lot of ways to go about this and for for competitive reasons it doesn't make sense to give feedback uh especially when when the farmer doesn't have the ability uh, to verify uh, your qualification. It's 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 a it's an, a really harmful uh, asymmetry of information there. Uh, it's like I'm I'm selling you something, I'm I'm selling you a car, but I don't know what year it is. Only you know what year it is, and I have no way of knowing if you're lying to me or not. Right. Uh, so so this is this is tough. Um, you know, this is this is why I think it's really important. Uh, to, to give these feedback reports that this is this is the score I gave you and this these are all the little boxes on the SCA form these are the notes the cupping notes uh, you can take that you can do whatever you want with it you know this is for the, the members of the collective that we have a, a a very strong but but informal commitment to each other you know exactly what's going on in, in that cup like we can compare this to to previous lots uh, previous harvests and and uh, almost always, unless what they're doing is perfect, uh, which hasn't happened yet, uh, I'll have some recommendations. There are about 70 members of the collective that are currently producing micro lot quality, but there are like 200 that are not there yet. So uh, a big chunk of my time is, is analyzing exactly what these guys are doing. Sometimes this is the fourth harvest that I'm just analyzing samples. We haven't moved any coffee yet. Uh, we're just working and trying to solve these issues. Uh, so I, I do a lot of that from from here in the office. You know, a lot of times it, at the beginning, it's it's quite obvious what's going wrong, what's going mm -hmm. right. Uh, but then uh, it's only being on the farm, walking around. Uh, all right, I found this in the cup. This is how this has changed. What did you do this time versus that time? Mm. Um, so this is the other half of my time, uh, trying to get to each farm at least once a year, which is is being becoming an increasingly more challenging task. Uh, you know, with everything mm -hmm. everything growing on the side uh but yeah feedback super important the farmer has to know what's exactly going on um right. I mean, it's always a problem like so and so gave me 88 and you only gave me 86 what's yeah. that about yeah um so i mean farmers have to know 
different markets are going to appreciate different different things about their product. So they've got to pick the one that, that most appreciates it. Uh, I try to find that for them, but uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have contacts everywhere that that like everything. There's some there's some crazy things that people in in North America, Europe, and Australia hate, but people in other parts of the world may may really love. Right. Uh, right. So uh, yeah, there's there's an infinite level of, of complication in, in all this but you know this 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 feedback is is also a two-edged sword uh we we used to give this to every, everybody that came along uh this is you know like our public service but then we find you know just oh oh great take this report and then go over to our competitor's office who maybe doesn't have their own quality control infrastructure and, all right you got this now we can buy this coffee and, and I'm, I'm like doing doing the work all for the my work. uh so you know this is this is uh so like it's false. i you know, like producers are like savvy as hell and they'll try to get the, you know, most out of their coffee, rightly so. But um, how do you build loyalty within, you know, your network of producers and how, and I know trust is something earned over a longer period of time, but maybe you can talk to personal gains in that area or losses. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this is, this is always an issue and this is, is, have been easy for us in some areas, very difficult in other areas. Um, so, so we um, are, are pretty selective. Uh, we'll work with anyone in the country. Anyone in the whole country is welcome to to work with us. But um, you know, there are, are certain, uh, I guess, cultural niches where it's it's easier than others, uh, where there's more of a sense of, of collaboration and community, and others where folks are are more. Uh, independent and and sometimes individualistic uh, so i mean there it's it, it also depends on a, a short versus long-term focus and and most people are very short-term focused because resources are so scarce nobody's worried about uh planting for seven years from now when they don't know how to put food on the table three months from now uh, which is is very understandable uh but but really uh so like if if Today at, at uh, 103 in the New York Sea market, uh, FNC is paying the, the the national base price essentially is like 728,000 pesos per carga, um, 86 point micro lot. They're going to earn with us 1 million 1.2 million. Uh, so this is this is quite good right now. It's like 90% premium. Uh, they're very happy. Um, a few years ago. The prices at the, the the national base price was 1.1 million, and quality was very bad that year. Uh, so we were only able to pay slightly more than than uh, anybody else. Uh, so so that was it was tough. We we really realized who our friends were. Right. Uh, uh, but I mean that's the difference. If if you if you just pay a slight premium over the market price all the time, you can take advantage when prices are low, and then you can pay a little more when prices are high. We pay the same price all the time, uh, so when prices are low, we're at a, a big disadvantage versus our competitors in the market. And when prices are high, you know we're not able to offer farmers such a great deal as as in other times. Uh, that said, consistency is is really important for farmers. I'd say that the, the you know the downside of, of coffee farming isn't low prices; it's it's the uncertainty of prices, the inconsistency. Uh, you know, how are you going to justify investing in, in going above and beyond uh, standard processing to make specialty coffee when you may end up selling that for 
the standard specialty premium and still coming out losing money on the year. Uh, you know, that's that's money you could have spent on on food and clothes for your kids. Right. Uh, so really, I think the, the uncertainty is really the killer in, in this. That's why many small farmers uh, can't justify uh, the investment in producing specialty uh, because they don't know what the payoff is going to be. They may end up losing more or uh, not being able to find that channel or uh, being one of 40 samples on a cupping table for an exporter. And, you know, uh, they, they have very good quality, but coincidentally, some of their neighbors have better quality. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is like you know, the, the way of purchasing. Are you going to purchase that farm's coffee because that farm's your buddy, uh, even though his neighbor has a half point higher? Most people would say no. Right. Uh, so we, we try to offer farmers this consistency. Right. And that's a useful tool to kind of, you know, for a goal for even producers to uh, understand and reach. Um, so listeners might be listening and they might be like, this guy knows his stuff. He should write a book. And you, <laughs> and you are, in fact, writing the book. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I'm, I'm working on no free refills. This this isn't um, you know, a standard uh, academic uh, a theory and then research and prove or disprove said theory. This is essentially a, a synthesis of all the uh, of all the really thick, nerdy information that's out there in, in academic journals, in other very nerdy books uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, it used to be my job to to research this stuff extensive supply chains. Um, so that, this has been my approach to, to dealing with coffee. Uh, I've been researching this kind of stuff for many years, just, uh, you know, to make sure that I'm conducting myself in a, in a responsible way. Uh, but, but nowadays in, in the market, I see a lot of, a lot of incomplete information, uh, not, not a lot of lies. Um, but you know, everyone's interested in sustainability these days. What does that mean? What does it mean to you, to me? Um, and you know, a lot of a lot of true incomplete statements out there, and um, that, that most folks that don't have you know, a, a, a background in development economics uh, don't necessarily have a, a clear uh, holistic picture to be able to interpret that kind of information, to know the right questions to ask, uh, to know uh, you know that that statement is probably true, but but what's the other part that's left out that I need to know? to be able to make a, a really a responsible decision. Uh, so that's why you know, I, I felt it was important to put all of this information in one place in a very uh, uh, accessible, readable way, uh, just to give the, the industry like one, one go-to guide uh, to understanding how all these things work. And I think it's, it's so long overdue because um, even for someone like myself who's like familiar with resources out there, I don't know if I could confidently point to one resource about all this this topic there's just it's scattered so explain to us the title i i love the title no free refills um why did you decide to go with that title uh i guess i think it's just a good example of of the kind of of imbalance that's out there that uh the the lack of understanding that you know coffee is something that that should be free that you know i i bought a coffee but essentially i bought a seat in this place and I'm going to fill, fill it up as many times as I want. It's just coffee. Uh, 
to, but to, you know, really, uh, there's a focus on, on the farm level, the, the trading aspect that, you know, this isn't just you know, something uh, to have at your desk uh, that, that you have to buy mm, to be able to use Wi-Fi. Uh, this is, this is uh, many millions of people's lives. I love that. I'm going to frame everything you just said. Um, <laughs> in addition to this book, which is actually on pre-sale right now, correct? Right. It, we're, we're still in process. Uh, the outline's finished. I've been, I spent the last two years really, really combing through uh, a lot of these, these really thick uh, you know, academic studies and, and, and journal articles. And now just working on making it pretty and- uh, It's important and, to make it- And creating the actual book. Yeah. Um, I'm super excited. So you're working on that book, but you're currently working on um, a program um, for your network of producers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and why you're excited about it? Sure. So really you know, what, what motivated me to work on this book project is, is the lack of understanding uh, of the supply chain in which we all work. You know, how are our, like this butterfly effect that this small decision I make here that's, that seems pretty insignificant. Uh, what is the ripple effect of this? How am I interacting with all of these other people in the, in the supply chain? And uh, arguably, farmers, uh, small farmers, are some of the most disadvantaged in that in that supply chain. And uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding at that level, also. Um, a lot of um, you know things that that maybe in in coffee consuming countries is taken for granted. Uh, how much? What is the cost of production? Um, you know, should we do this? All right. Well, let's look at the costs. Um, will it benefit us or not? Um, just basic uh, finance. Um, uh, Small-scale coffee farmers are are agricultural entrepreneurs. Most of them don't know it. Um, you know, it's a, a complex history that will be detailed in the book. But um, going from laborers to sharecroppers to then independent farmers, um, there's there's this sense that that we're still working for the man. Uh, that man is now the the FNC or the co-op that we just do what the guy in the yellow shirt tells us to do, we plant the varietal, he tells us to plant, he tells us to cut down these shade trees because they're taking up space, we cut them down. Mm. Uh, I wanna I wanna be able to show these farmers, that's not the case. You guys can do whatever you want. Uh, you need to uh, understand what business you're in, how to make it work for you. Um, but there's a uh, very, very little understanding among small farmers of, of how much does it cost me to produce coffee? Uh, should I get an organic certification? What's the what would be the up and downside of, of doing that to show these these small farmers that you don't you don't just get up and do this every day because you know, that's the life you were born into and that's that's uh, the the path that that was laid out for you. Uh, you can take this a bunch of different ways. You just have to understand uh, understand this farm as the small business it is. Right, and that's it's really like an opportunity for an academy of sorts for farmers to learn and how to be entrepreneurs themselves. Um, and like you said, there's freedom in knowing. There's freedom in knowing all the different ways you can take your business. Um, that goes for anyone. So that's the advocation program you're currently building. Is there, um, is there like a site or anything you have um, up yet and running that talks specifically about that? On gofreerefillsbook.com, there's a, a tab or a, a link to Finkenbrenda. 
it's really basic uh, right now. Uh, we're still implementing some some pilot phases, um, just essentially uh, figuring out where the farmers level are. Uh, I did one uh, a couple of months ago and really went into supply demand curves and uh, price elasticity of demand and uh, just got a lot of blank stares. Yeah, I would so too. Really <laughs> back. <laughs> I would, yeah. Looking at this last last week, just really focusing on uh, what quality do you want to produce? How much does it cost you to produce it? How much can you make for it? Is it worth doing or not? Um, so really just starting um, as, as basic as can be, work our way up from there and and eventually um, lay out a, a, a curriculum and hopefully have some, some, to be able to cite some some cases of, you know, some success cases that with this information, we were able to make the decision to do this. And then this was the outcome. Uh, so yeah, still, still getting started, but hoping to ramp this up at a large scale. So we're going to be looking for uh, an army of, of um, people to be out there looking at this stuff one-on-one -on -one with farmers. Uh, I've been doing this in, in rooms with large groups of farmers, which is fine. Um, a lot of them sleep, which is, is understandable as well. These guys get up really early. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it really the only way is, is to be sit down with each and every one. Right. Uh, and, and there so are hundreds of thousands and to answer kind of those independent questions, you you literally are building, you know, long-term like a little academy. I just love using that term because I think it's like, you have so much potential to, once you def know kind of where to start, like you said, the fundamentals of kind of creating those courses, if you will, something that you can scale out for producers um, and watch them grow as business um, individuals, which is really cool. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, to be able to convert this into something self-sustaining, to be able to implement on a much larger scale. Right. Uh, and I, I see a lot of efforts, and I have seen over, over the years, teaching farmers how to do this, how to plant this varietal, how to do honey process. Uh, all, a lot of like execution, a lot of, uh, yeah. we've got to do this, and this will make everything better. Mm. But what I'm saying is you need to understand why it's a good yes. idea to do this, not just because somebody that you feel is smarter than you told you to. Right. So really, I think we need to, to start at the, at the beginning, at, at the base. That's so exciting. Um, I like, I'm excited to see in three years, like how, even in that short amount of time, what the progress looks there. For people who've never been to Bogota or Colombia, um, can you tell us a little bit about the specialty coffee culture there and what it's, um, what dif major differences you see between there and like North America, um, and what you can recommend for people who want to visit? Oh, sure. It's, it's growing really fast. Um, a lot of interest, a lot of excitement, uh, the local barista competitions, roasting competitions, uh, coffee shops popping up everywhere, doing, uh, see fun and, and all of these, all of these, uh, really intense things. Uh, so really excited to, to see uh, how much interest there is here, especially uh, this movement, like start to keep some of the best stuff in the country. Yeah. Uh, at least here in Bogota, a willingness to, to pay for a good coffee, like, uh, like a wine or, or a beer yeah. um, is happening. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a long road um, because we're very used to drinking the pasilla, the, the sub product, with lots of sugar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really, really making progress. Um, I'd say 
there's there's a lot of excitement. Uh, I think based mostly on on the internet, a lot of uh, you know the same things you see in in Brooklyn. Right. Uh, I'm starting to see around here. Um, I think the the technical side, uh, understanding the sensory quality of of what you're producing versus what somebody on YouTube said is is still in its development. Totally. But uh, you know the the important thing is excitement, and everything else will follow. Right. You know, you were saying like Colombia's or you know local people are just starting to like keep the good coffee within Colombia. Can you quickly tell us about why it might be more difficult for coffee producing countries to keep their own coffee? Just prices. Right. I mean, uh, someone's willing to pay $5 a pound for green coffee and then sell that for $6 a cup. Uh, $6 a cup is 18,000 pesos here in Colombia. That's like two times the price of a big hearty lunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's tough to justify. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a question I get from a lot of people that, you know, weren't aware that uh, a lot of coffee producing countries, they, you know, they can make more by exporting it. But I think, like you said, in Bogota, now that the culture is building up and they can have a market within their own country. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I could probably go on for three days, but I, I think we I think we covered a, a lot here. So um, I'm really glad for that and, and really appreciative for, for being able to share here. I'm so thankful um, that you've taken your time out of wearing like 50 hats to just talk. Um, I would, I'm sure I'll have you on again because I feel like we just scratched the surface. But um, we'll just be following along your journey. And thanks for chatting with us. Great. Thank you so much. Can't wait to talk again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Coffee Nomad podcast. Um, I hope you learned a thing or two about the coffee supply chain. Um, it goes to show there are always so many more questions to ask about coffee and where it begins. I want to give another one last shout out to Capiac for this lovely outro music. Um, that is C-A-P-Y-A-C. If you want to check them out on Spotify, iTunes, all of the above, you can check out the notes in my show links. Um, Coming up next time on the Coffee Nomad podcast, we talk to a barista, a coffee shop manager, and a coffee shop owner. Yes, three folks to a local coffee shop here in the Carolinas. It's an old home turned coffee shop. And we'll talk about not only how um, a group of folks decided there was a need for a coffee shop in the community, how they got up and running, but how they are making it, in my opinion, so successful. Um, with a roaster you may have heard from in this podcast. Get away, vacate, rendezvous, all day too, maybe parlez-vous. Francais, gotta go where it's picante. Got one fine wine and reach the rante, my stomach's concave. Trilingual with the lingo, need to go worldwide like a hit single. Married to the game like a beetle with a ringo on the pinky region. Sink my teeth into the slice of life, the time and the price is right. Tonight's the night where I just might wake up next morning in a different location, racing, dancing.